This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is the weekend of Neil Atkinson with Paul Hogan, Philippa Smallwood and James Sutton. Listen, we're recording this in the immediate aftermath of the uh, verdict that's come out uh, in one of the trials today around Duck and Field. Um, we're not going to get into that on this show uh, we may well look at what we what we can and can't do around it because there's obviously further trials to come uh, and it's still difficult to talk about this sort of stuff without uh, prejudicing that and all of that sort of stuff it's fair to say it was a, it was, it was a hammer blow to everyone um, and seeing people's responses and seeing the way in which people are uh, uh, emotionally understandably fraught over it you know I think the one thing that all I feel comfortable sort of genuinely saying right now is everyone's just got to try and look after each other Um, and so yeah please try and do that Um, we'll move on and we'll move on with the show uh, this week Uh, we've got uh, something coming up about the Anfield Road expansion uh, which you will have heard about by the time this comes out Uh, also uh, we have um, something uh, from Kitted Out that is to come as well and I have uh, have the Athletics Andy Naylor talking about Brighton and Hove Albion all of that is to come Uh, in front of me as I say I've got Philippa Smallwood I have got James Sutton and I've got Paul Hogan and Paul the game against Napoli last night was, I'd say, one of the oddest, oddest nights I've ever had at Anfield. Uh, in every single way, really, it was a very odd game. It felt at times like neither side quite knew what to do because of the group scenario. Napoli themselves had a bit of a siege mentality thing going on, but they didn't have a shot after they scored. Not a single shot for the rest of the match. It had an attack versus defence thing going on. Watching really good players do that, the whole thing was just odd. It was. It was a really strange. We said to me before. I mean, it was a really strange game. Um, second half was was much improved from the first half. Um, referee was absolutely. I don't. I don't often moan about refereeing. I'll try not to anyway. But the referee was absolutely appalling. Um, didn't help with the flow of the game whatsoever. Forgetting the big decisions, just everything was slowed down because of every single thing. Um, Crowds were a bit, bit fr- very frustrated, um, which which was understandable. I was there, I, I you know I could totally understand. But it, it was just the whole atmosphere around the game, just all a bit strange. Um, results ended up not being too bad. I think I think we'll be fine. But yeah, I. I, I just glad it's over with to be quite honest <laughs> you, you think you think we'll be fine Philip but I don't think we really could have done with needing to go and get something from Salzburg we have very much created Salzburg's World Cup final here they, these are young footballers and we've given them the biggest game of their lives to look forward to um, I agree with you there I think one thing that possibly could play in our favour though is the fact that Salzburg have to win they have to come out and they have to attack us which you know with our players you would like to think we've got the quality to be able to punish them um, I personally would have liked us to just put it to bed last night and not even have to worry about that fixture. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like, 
I don't know our our away form in in a sense, and I know it's you know I know we beat Genk, um, but I do feel like we just struggle a little bit away from home in these games that we're kind of expected to win. Um, I think when kind of our our backs are against the wall a little bit, I think that we we play okay. Um, but to be honest with you, I think I think the one that's really hurt us is, was the Napoli away game. I think that's the one that's really hurt us here. And I think that game for me, we played actually really well in and we just got sucker punched at the end. And I, it's really difficult to be critical of a side that has done so well in Europe over the past few seasons. And I yeah. think that's something that we also need to remember. Well, you know, no matter what happens in that last game and if we end up cocking it all up, then we've just got to be grateful we've had a really good run well that's one of the other things that was just odd about it James which is the first time effectively under Jurgen Klopp you've walked away from an Anfield home European night and been disappointed I, I, you know and to think about that for a second that's not just one season last season when we win the thing or even the season the year before when we become runners up it goes back to the Europa League as well this is three three and a half seasons of European competition <laughs> and you used to walk away from Anfield absolutely we've been spoiled yeah We've been we've been we've been spoiled. I, I I'll be honest. I I half expected it to go as it did last night. Um, uh, Napoli, you know, they 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 seem to have a, a a real grasp of us, and they seem to know where our weaknesses. And Carlo Ancelotti, I mean, you know, he, he he's made a career out of doing this sort of thing. You know, going away from home in Europe and defying the odds. It's what you know. It's what he does. Um, I thought I thought I thought tactically. I thought he got it absolutely spot on last night. Um, even even when 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 Trent comes on, um, I, I think they I think they you know they absolutely they nullify that threat um, really quickly. He does really a couple of subs, doesn't he? Yeah, straight it. straight away. He I think he I think he brought on a winger. Um, I forget his name, but he's literally he's on Trent immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, and and also what what it, what it did do. I mean, it's not you know it's it's I'm a, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Um, what it did do is solidify how important Trent Alexander Arnold is. Um, and also how, how improved and how ready for the fight Oxley chamberlain is as well. Well, on this, there's, well, there's a couple of aspects for this, really. One is, Philippa, if we all know that Trent is so important to us from a creative point of view, from a playmaking point of view, and it seems odd to me that with that knowledge, two things happen. One, Liverpool replace him with Gomez and play a midfield that is, you know, is is about graft and is about sort of wearing the opponent down. And that's fine, that's a perfectly valid thing. But my thing is, if you're going to play Gomez, I feel as though you've got to decide you're putting a certain type of midfielder in who's maybe mm. going to be able to spark a little bit more uh, and get and, and create a little bit more tempo on the one hand. Or, and at some sort of point, Liverpool might have to think about this, that maybe you don't replace your playmaker, you don't replace your Kevin De Bruyne with a centre-half. Which is effectively, if you think about it, sort of yeah. what we did do. Um, I agree with you to a sense. I think kind of his hand got forced a little bit with Trent in the fact that he'd played both England games. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Then, so, Trent's going to not play. He needs to be rested yeah, sometimes. And I think he he took that gamble last night and it didn't pay off. Um I agree on Gomez. I just think it completely nullifies us from that side. Um, I I think we're quite easy to um, keep out in a sense uh, when Trent's not playing, um, and I think it it puts a little bit too much of the onus then on Robbo. And I think I think for me Robertson, he's he's very very good. Don't get me wrong, but he's not Trent for me. Um, and I think that if you're expecting him to then take on 
that responsibility is a little bit tricky. I do agree with you on the midfield, but um, I think he might have also looked at the fact that he played that exact same midfield against Barcelona last season uh, at Anfield and they did a fantastic job and I think he probably wanted them to do a similar job last night and it just didn't work out that way. I think it's been interesting with him. It's, it's hard to criticise Klopp for anything he, he, he's done, but one thing he does seem to do is he persists with what he's doing regardless of the plays he's got at times and I think sometimes, you know, you, you, and maybe that's because he hasn't had a Shaqiri, for example, who, who's always been a bit of a break glass for him, but, rather, you know, when, when we haven't had one of the front three, he persists with something rather it's than... It's very single-minded, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and I, I felt sorry for Gomez last night, if yeah. I'm honest, because mm, yeah. I don't actually think he did that badly in terms of, you know, if, if you were looking it at him... to being a normal right-back. Yeah. yeah. Like if we, like what Nathaniel Klein did for us a few years ago, when he was asked to do that job, Gomez is perfectly serviceable as that. But when you're asking him to be... And I, I totally get the Robertson thing, but Robertson, for me, is the best left-back in the league. Trent yeah, is Trent's more than a left-back. He's he's a playmaker. He's you know he's probably... He's a winger. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah he's yeah. a winger, centre midfield. He's all of them things in one. I, I think... We should have potentially put uh, Chamberlain in, or, or Shakiri probably wasn't an option, but one of them in because you didn't have to cover for Trent as much because Gomez was never going to go. There's something I think what you mentioned before about the value of Alexander Arnold, James, and there is. It's not just last season around this time around this period we would occasionally drop Gomez into right back, and you wouldn't. If I say you wouldn't notice the join, listen, you know, you'd know he was a right-sided centre back playing right back, but you, you know, there was quality in his performances. I think that tells you the story of the extent to which. Trent and Robertson and Andy Robertson, the pair of them, have almost reinvented their positions and their roles through their form, through their performances, and that's what you've seen. They've actually they've quantum leaped what mm. Jurgen Klopp expects from his fullbacks forwards, and it's a bit harsh then to say to Joe Gomez, "Well, you're not as good as Kev De Bruyne." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. You know, it's 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 a. I mean, it's a lovely you know, it's a lovely problem to have in in the bigger picture sense. Um, but the drop off, you know, if you if, if if one of those two lads isn't playing, is is big. I I I, I would have started Henderson back there last night. That's what I'd have done because I thought he did. I thought he did quite well when he switched over. Actually, um, I thought he was very good. I thought he, I thought I thought he, I thought he did a job. I'd have, I'd have just started him because I'm, I'm with you. I, I felt really sorry for Gomez last night. It's you know he's ha- it's been a really difficult kind of you know 12, 18 months for Gomez because he was really well established and we were all singing his praises. This incredible young talent. And, you know, an injury and all of a sudden he's third, fourth choice centre back and now he's being asked to do a job and, 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 and cover a player like, like like Trent. It's I mean it's 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 kind of a lose lose situation for him really. The other thing that hurts the team, I think, uh Philippa, is the injury to the to the centre midfielder early. And it's not just how good Fabinho is, that is a conversation, but it's as much the fact that the manager loses a sub. Yeah. And that's one of the things that maybe impacts his decisions later in the game. He, when he loses that sub at that sort of point, it's going to knock on. It's, it, you know, you only get three subs. He's lost one of them, and that I think that has a knock on effect. But also, I think that Fabinho himself having him on the pitch would have helped massively. Um, I totally agree with that, and I think also the fact that he didn't have Cater available. Um, you know, the word on the street was that it, it's some sort of illness, and Klopp did mention that there was illness back in the squad at the weekend. So. We don't know either whether or not there's players that were playing with a bit of something last night as well that could have possibly impacted on them. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's disappointing that we didn't get the job done last night. But I think if you know we look at it overall, it would be really unlucky if we didn't get through, even with the ten points that we've already got. Just uh, one more little uh, touch on it last night, Paul. Before we before we try to put it behind us and move on. There is that uh, strange little thing around, I'd say, their goal 
where you know VAR's involved twice. There's, it, but it's not so much that to me. It's this one of the strangenesses of the VAR thing is the the idea of playing on and playing on under the expectation that it's probably going to get pulled back. And I think you really see that from Mertens. I think it's a real... Like, Mertens is almost playing like he's in the park at that point. And I think mm. the reason why is because he thinks, this isn't going to count anyway. Mm. And I genuinely think that that's... And that's something that, you know, just without, be, without getting into a conversation about VAR itself and its rights and its wrongs and its issues, I just think that's a really interesting shift in a footballer's mindset that now you can play bits of football that theoretically probably should count, but you think it maybe won't. So therefore, you might just play with a bit more freedom because you might as well volley it into the bottom corner anyway because they're going to chalk it off. Well, I, I think... Uh, Allison was a little bit like that as well I think he was a little bit hesitant in it all and I, I felt like maybe that was why and also the whole back four seemed to be really slow and get, they were 30 yards away yeah. they were 30 yards away and yeah um, and I mean as you say without going into the whole VAR thing it, it, it's just a nightmare when you're in the stadium they just don't know what's going it's on a nightmare. it was a nightmare on telly oh, it was ridiculous uh, yeah, but it, it was uh, yeah. It just seemed to take forever. I, I was I was sitting next to people and we were saying I'd rather them have the goal because it was just destroying the game. <laughs> it was that that it's got to that point with me now with that. But uh, yeah, I, I think I mean Allison's been given a bit of stick and as much stick as you get when you're just good as Allison. But he's been given a bit of stick about his positioning and things. But I genuinely feel like he he just was a little bit like this isn't going to count anyway, um, and he, he hesitated. And I think it puts hesitation in everyone everyone's mind all the time. And you don't know whether a, left, a linesman's going to put his flag up, not going to put his flag up. No one, no one just no one knows what to do. There's last little thing is the the fact that Lovren gets his goal. James thinks he plays well in general. He's been playing well recently. He gets the goal. What's interesting is that he doesn't celebrate it. It's like get the ball. We've got to go and score another one because uh, we want to we want to do the business as Philip was saying. And I just don't think Liverpool quite worked out as an eleven. <laughs> what what the business was, if you know what I mean, like what was or wasn't a good result. I think it's a really, you know, maybe that's me just sort of reading into it and imposing on it. There's a big five minutes, but we don't quite, you know, Van, Van Dijk goes up at the end, but he goes up really late. So are we desperate to win this or not? And I don't think that question ever felt like we had eleven lads who were all on the same page. I feel, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it looked. It looked to the layman sat in the pub watching it that there was, there's a, there's a there's a mental kind of difference there between between playing in a game that you really really need to win and you've got that pressure and the crowd are, are up for it or you've got a Premier League game. Look, we all know we're going for the title. We know what's at stake. We know what we've got to lose. We've got to win every single game and get every single point. That pressure is what we have been thriving on in the past couple of years. Last night just felt like. Let's just get this done. Let's just get it done. There was no kind of enthusiasm, and I think that that fed into the crowd. It certainly sounded like it. That this is this is a night that we just we just get it done. It doesn't matter how, just get it done, and we can. Because what's what's at stake? What what we're winning from three points last night wasn't a, wasn't a trophy or an occasion or anything. It was a rest. They were just winning a rest on the tenth of December or whenever the game is. That was that's all it boils down to. It was, it, it, I can see why it might have been harder to motivate them. I think the other thing about it as well is it's hard to it's, it's hard to remember this now. But the the last two Champions League campaigns we've had we've pretty much done this kind of thing oh, in the awful. group stages. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe not at Anfield, but we've we've sort of muddled through each time, and it's sort of like a, a pacing yourself kind of thing. It feels like mm. with, with what Klopp's trying to do and the team are trying to do, maybe. I still think that we've got a little bit of our rhythms gone from the international break as well and I think there's a little bit of that came mm. into play last night I always feel like it takes us three or four games after a break when everybody's back to really get back into our stride again Okay, uh, we're going to look ahead to Brighton in a little while but before then we've got all the bits and pieces coming for you right the way through the show this week 
uh, there's things that you ha- that happen when you do this podcast in Malarkey, and you learn that certain things exist. And I'm not saying that I'm an old man who exists in his own bubble, but I had no idea about this football index carry on, uh, and yet here we are, and it's absolutely fascinating. In fact, I'm hugely concerned. I'm going to get absolutely stuck into this. Uh, so just to make it clear, the way in which it works is the idea that you get to anticipate certain players, and you get to play them in a sort of a stock market stock markety style way and buying shares in footballers. So you know you watch someone absolutely brilliant for Salzburg uh, because they all are and you get to buy shares in them uh, and then the value will rise and you sell uh, and then you get uh, payouts uh, when they score an assist and all of that sort of stuff uh, which is yeah I mean I am I am obviously I will be honest I'm concerned uh, that this could end up being sort of the sort of thing that will ruin my life uh, but it ruin our lives in a fantastic way which is fascinating around the game so if you go to footballindex.co.uk or download the app and you can use the code Anfield uh, to sign up uh, to get the 500 money a uh, 500 quid money back guarantee uh, you can start trading today and something that you love with football index obviously as is often the case with these things one it is a form of gambling i suppose so do please do so responsibly uh, and be gambleaware.org we've talked about them before on this show same thing if you play the actual stock market though you know let's all keep our heads about this sort of thing uh so yeah if you want to get stuck in this weekend i'd probably buy uh adam lalana uh i'd get stuck into adam lalana i'd currently be selling joe gomez let's short gomez uh I, this is hugely concerning anyway uh do take it seriously do go and get stuck in it is football index uh and uh yeah let's uh let me know how you get on uh to be quite honest with you and if you've got any any tips does that count as insider trading if you've got any tips anyway if you have uh, feel free let me know uh, and let's enjoy ourselves so yeah delighted to be joined by Andy Andy Hughes CEO of Liverpool Football Club we've been invited in to look at plans for the new Anfield Road expansion Andy thanks for joining us um, just had a brief little look there and the new proposal brings the capacity uh, up to 61,000 that is an increase of 3,000 on the original outline planning why is that what, what's, what's forced you thinking on that well, look, our objective is to increase the capacity as much as we can um, to get as many GA seats as we can into that stand and improve accessibility for for our fans. Um, uh, the original planning permission uh, in terms of its overall footprint um, is very, very similar to the proposal we've put forward now, but we've looked at it in a lot more detail. We've looked at um, you know a lot of the internals, where the seating can can go, etc., and you know we're pleased with the result that we think are at this stage in these draft plans we can get some extra capacity into the ground. The plans that we've seen, it, it kind of looks like a not a bolt on, but very complementary to the building, the main stands, and very much organic, but also keeping the integrity of the building. And when you when you listen to what other other teams say and other managers, Arsene Wenger, etc., about the effect of Anfield, was that key in your in your thinking of how it should be done? It's absolutely fundamental. I mean, we spent a huge amount of time on the main stand development, trying to respect the history of Anfield to get the design right, uh, but also to give amazing, improved and modern facilities for the fans. Uh, We're doing exactly the same thing with the Anfield Road development, and we want it, the look and feel, the design to be in keeping with what Anfield's all about. So hopefully we can get some extra noise, some extra energy and make Anfield even more powerful than it is today. So when you say in keeping with what Anfield is about, the, the, the ticket split, we've got to ask this question, the ticket split in the in the proposed new stand, um, what's that going to be like corporate versus general access? What, what, what can we expect? Well, look, it's too early at this point. So, you know, we are in the middle of a design process. We're starting consultation early, deliberately, because we want to get that feedback 
you know, early enough that we can incorporate it in, into the design. The majority of the seats will be general admission seats. That, that's an absolute definite. Um, and details on ticketing will, will come at a later stage. And from what I understand as well, what, similar to what you've done outside the main stand, there will be changes in the, the outside footprint of the stadium. There's, talk, there's very much in keeping with the, the 96 Avenue, one thing the other, but also there'll be some uh, logistical changes with roads and one thing and the other. Yeah, so again, we've looked really hard at the public realm spaces and uh, we again, we did exactly the same thing on 96 Avenue, um, spent a lot of time on that design and, uh, you know, we're pleased with where we've got to, but yes, we need to hear some feedback. There is a section of road that's immediately behind Anfield Road uh, that needs to close for this development to go ahead. Um, obviously, nobody's... Uh, house or is blocked um, and we're only talking about a partial closure of Anfield Road across that section um, but it is a, a requirement if we're if we're going to do this development. How challenging has it been from yourself the, the club's, club's point of view to meet such staggering demand I mean it'd be remiss not to mention you know the, the, the getting that getting tickets now is, is it's a challenge uh, I mean and how challenging has it been from your side to try and address these these concerns and these demands? Well, look, I know it's a battle for everybody. Uh, I know right at this moment and all of my time at the club, we've had excess demand for virtually every single game. Um, obviously, this development, I think, has to help um, increase the capacity and increase access for everybody. So hopefully it supports and helps everyone in there drive to try and get a seat at a match and finally Andy does it do you think from 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 your point of view does it put the club where you, where you expected or you want it to be the club of such stature shall we say when you compare it to other stadiums around around Europe not necessarily about capacity but the actual design and what it actually brings yeah so uh, I think for a club of Liverpool stature the sort of 60,000 mark is is a bit of a minimum for me um, uh, I you know this clearly loads of demand uh, to watch games at Anfield and this kind of gets us to that point if this development can go ahead so it's hugely important for the club and for the fans Brilliant Andy thanks very much for your time It is Last Fan Standings Neil Atkinson I've got Sean Moran with me to work through an LFC general knowledge based quiz how are you feeling about it Sean in advance? Yeah pretty nervous Neil uh, let myself down here That's what I want I want you to be nerve racked I want you to be a bag of nerves I want you to be all the things that we can do with verbs that involve nerves uh, We're going to ask you the questions and go right the way through and see if you can be the last fan standing They are our partners at the minute we're having a really good laugh with it So number one Who did Jurgen Klopp replace as Liverpool manager in 2015? Kenny Dalglish or Brent, Brendan Rodgers Go on say it Brendan Rodgers Yeah it's too easy that one Not having it Number two Who scored <laughs> Liverpool's first goal against Palace last week? Was it Mane or was it Firmino? It was Sadio Mane. It was two out of two flying. What team is Harry Wilson on loan to? Is it Southampton? Oh, God, he doesn't even need the options. Uh, that is three out of three. Which of these players has been subbed on? Now, take your time with this one. Subbed on most often for the Reds in the Premier League this year. Is it Gomez, is it Origi, or is it James Milner? James Milner. It is James Milner with eight. Brilliant stuff. Really, really impressed. Which of these players was the cheapest buy for Liverpool from the official figures? Was it Alison Becker, Naby Keita, or Fabinho? Fabinho. It was flying five out of five. All time, all clubs, Adrian has had more Premier League clean sheets than Alison. Is that true or false? Is that this seat? Well, it can't be. No, it's all time. It's all time and it's all clubs. So every. All, all time, so. 
um, Alison's got more than Adrian. That's wrong. It's true. Oh. Adrian has got more Premier League clean sheets than Alison. It's heartbreaking. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I, I mean, Adrian has been around longer than we think. So. Oh, sorry, Neil. I cocked the question up. I thought you meant for Liverpool. No, no, no. Premier League clean sheets. Sorry, I would have said Adrian. Of course, I would have said Adrian. Now I missed, I missed the question. I'm awful sorry. I don't be awful sorry to me. I mean, you know, it's you've already got the piece of merch as well. I mean, let's be honest about this. It oh, just it just damages you on the leaderboards. You know, like they used to have on fifteen to one, and eventually you'd you'd win an earn. There's no I was flying there. Yeah. You were flying, and you know you could have been earn worthy, but there's no earn for you. But you will get a piece of merch. <laughs> you get a t-shirt. <laughs> if I can get, if I can prize it from John's cold dead hands, you can get a t-shirt. Yeah. So we'll sort that out with you. I'll give you a shout at some point, and we'll get that sorted and get it sent out to you. Uh, just out of interest, how do you fancy the Reds are going to get on at the weekend? Uh, it's going to be tough. I think we need to get out of this slump, don't they? This uh, let me the team uh, dictate the pace of the game. We just need to take it to a team, don't they, and get three them up. Long overdue. That's what I think as well. I'm hopeful that that'll be this weekend's game. They'll manage to pull that out the bag. Uh, but anyway, thank you very much indeed, Sean. Take it easy and uh, have a thank good weekend. You. We all watch the Reds together. We'll get that merch sent off to you. It's last fan standing. We're pleased to partner with them. Do download the app. Get involved. Get playing. There's an Anfield rap group on there as well. Thanks to Sean. Take it easy. Okay, joined now by Michelle Smith, and she and a partner, Paul Morgan, are behind the idea, which you may have seen already on social media, something called Kit It Out, which is a, a grassroots idea, the idea being basically to get kits that are no longer wanted from people and, and recycle them, reuse them, give them to kids, etc., football teams that are in need of them. I mean, M- Michelle, how did all this start then? Was it just, you know, Saturday night watching the telly and, and, and Paul leaned over and said, you know what, <laughs> how did it work that, out? Well, what Paul would say to you is there's actually three of us involved. There's also a guy called John McInnes who's been um, helping to organise. Um, I was originally doing some collections for school uniforms for one of my kids' schools. Um, and he was walking home from football practice on a Monday night, and I think he just sort of he'd, he'd spoken to a couple of people that week, who's explained that for one reason or another, um, you know, the new kids that weren't able to play football because they didn't have the boots or they didn't have the kit. Um, so it sort of sparked from there. It was just sort of that was where the idea came from, um, and things took off sort of quite quickly from that point, to be honest. And so once once sort of kits, boots, etc. started to come in, I presume your, your houses end up swarmed with the things. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How how did um, you what what you know how did it work from there? The administration of it. How did you get that out to people who needed them and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, and I know I know that this is sort of the case with a lot of people. You know, with things like this, uh, you know, even with uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be friends with some of the people involved in fan sport and food banks and various other projects. And again, you know, it started off just with an idea. And yeah, you're right. Um, quite quickly, we, we put the call out. I think it's, you know, testament to the tradition in Liverpool of working class solidarity. That yeah. They basically set up a social media page on Facebook and Twitter. And people just really related to it um, and started contacting ourselves through social media and offering to send kits or could we collect or could they drop off. So, yeah. Um, we just started storing them. That's still the case. You know, we're storing them in our homes um, and sorting them out and then just trying to get them out as quickly as possible, to be honest. A, so the living room's not constantly full of kits <laughs> and boots, but also, you know, because the aim is to get these kits out to where it's needed so that, you know, kids and young adults can, can play football. 
And how much of an issue have, have you found it to be then in, in Liverpool? How much of an issue is it that, you know, youngsters want to play football but haven't got haven't got the equipment, haven't got the boots, haven't got the kits? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something I, I didn't play football growing up and, and, and neither of my my kids did, to be honest. But I've been personally, you know, from my point of view, really surprised with quite quickly we sort of realised that in Liverpool lots of things are interlinked. So we'd go out to one community centre in one area um, and they'd say, well, you know, have you been in touch with such and such in another area? So we've got had the opportunity to go to loads of places like the L6 Centre, the Reese Jones Centre, um, Unity in Liverpool, like lots of different places. Um, and, and, you know, the people who work there, either the volunteers or very few youth workers left, obviously, but those that we do speak to have then, you know, given us examples of kids and families who, you know, have had to pull the kids out of football or they're going along to play at, um, at the side or whatever on the pitches. And when they get there, the trainers aren't allowing the kids to, to play, basically because it's been the health and safety issue because they've mm. not got the you know, the, the right footwear or they've turned up in the school uniform. It's really, unfortunately, it's a big issue. It shouldn't be, but it is. And people listening now, you know, I'm, I'm guessing will want to help because, you know, as you say, that is the sort of nature of the area and people will hear things yeah. like this and want to get involved. So if the if someone's sitting there at home with a load of old kits or whatever they want to get involved, they want to donate, they want to help, uh, how can they do that, Michelle? Um, if they just go onto the social media, um, that if you search for Kiss Out on Facebook or on Twitter and you just message us, we'll get the information. You can either drop off for us. Um, just in the past couple of weeks, we've had someone contact us who actually um, organises the coaches for the Liverpool games and they've offered to help us with some storage up at the Baltic Triangle. So we're going to try and meet with them and work with them and we'll be able to then let people know where there's various drop-off points around the city. But at the moment, if they just get in touch with us through social media and we'll speak with them and arrange you know, the, the most convenient way for them to either get the kids to us or we can get the kids from them. I think it's one of them as well, isn't it? That with, with kids as well, you, you know that they won't really sort of understand, will they? You know, all they'll want to do is do what they're made to do and they'll want to play football yeah. with their mates and that kind of stuff. And, you know, for families who are struggling, obviously football kits, football boots, even the little ones, the ones with kids, you know, the the, the prices of them now are ridiculous, aren't they? And particularly around yeah. Christmas and things like that, there'll be the pe- there are people out there that, that need a helping hand at this time. Yeah, I mean, I was really shocked. It was Paul who said to me how much it now costs for, you know, for a full kiss. Yeah. Um, and obviously kids are then, you know, there's the pressure, obviously, to kids change regularly, so it's trying to sort of keep up with that, and that's a lot of pressure on families. Um, the positive side for us, I suppose, is that then people have got a lot of kids that they're able to donate um, that we're then passing on, because, you know, a lot of the, the community centres for kids and young adults that we're passing stuff on to that don't, not necessarily want, um, you know, it's got to be the most up-to-date kit. They're mm. really genuinely happy to be able to have any kit and any boots that, you know, are in decent nick that they can play in and they can enjoy playing football in. Well, listen, I think it's a brilliant idea, a simple idea. Uh, yourself and Paul doing great work, Michelle, so well in. And um, hopefully, you know, this little bit, this little section on the Amphira will help. And if you are listening, do check out uh, Kit It Out on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, and if you can help, please do, Michelle. Thanks very much. 
Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, a big thanks from myself, Paul, and, and, and obviously John as well. Without people making the donations, we wouldn't be able to get um, what we've got out already. So it's really, really appreciated from everyone. Joined by Andy Naylor of The Athletic to talk about Brighton uh, as they visit Anfield this weekend. And the first key thing, really, and the thing that maybe gives us the insight into how Brighton are different from this season to last season, Andy, you might have an instinct on it, but... I certainly feel as though I've got no sense as to whether or not Brighton are going to play a back three, a back four, a back five. I've got no sense how many midfielders there'll be, no sense how many forwards there'll be. I feel pretty sure that Dunk will start, that Stevens will start. But it is fair to say that Graham Potter is very much uh, chopping and changing to what he sees fit game by game. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly it. We've seen multiple um, formations and players playing in, in positions that uh, we're not familiar with. And um, but I gather at Swansea last season, actually there was quite a lot of, of experimentation in the first half of the season, and then he tended as the season wore on to kind of settle more on on, on his team, and um, they actually finished the season very strongly. So um, yeah, it's very hard to know, like you say, whether he's going to go what what he's going to go with at Anfield, um, but. He'll have some sort of plan, but <laughs> whether it's a plan that can cope with Liverpool in in, in their form at home um, is another matter. Well, the, the first thing is, before you almost worry about that, I've been really intrigued by the extent to which he's, and he looks like he will continue to stick to his principles. I keep saying in the build-up to this game that everyone at Anfield at some point will have a fellow next to them, he'll give them a little nudge and say, I tell you what, these play a bit. Because he's not, he's not hasn't looked in any of the games really to be prepared to compromise that they almost match Manchester City fifty fifty for possession. Yes, they get beat four uh, four nil, yeah. but you know it, it does look to me as though there's the, the one thing that's not compromising in any game is is what you can call the Potter approach, which is that they're going to play a bit. Absolutely, yeah, that that is absolutely right. He will not sacrifice his his principles in terms of how he wants the team to play. Um, they will play that way. I've got no doubt in terms of, you know, passing out from the back. It, it's a it's a possession based philosophy. It's interesting actually in his uh, three away games so far against the so called big six. I'm, I'm not sure about that big six anymore. But <laughs> you mentioned Man City. That was the first example, and they went there and yeah, they like you say they lost four nil, but they did have a go. That they had a go there. I think. What he'll be looking for from Liverpool, he's been a bit disappointed with their last two performances against those sides of that ilk. Um, uh, Chelsea, in, at the end of September, they didn't really turn up there. They lost 2-0 and it could have been a lot more. And probably most pertinently, their most recent one, which was the last away game at Manchester United, they actually went to Old Trafford above them in the table. And I think most people felt this, this was as good a chance as Brighton had ever had of getting a result at Old Trafford. And they didn't really perform on that day. We went 2-0 two, two down very early on. I think it was within 18 minutes. Mm. So I, th- I think he'll be looking at that and, and, and wanting them to at least kind of show up, which they haven't really at Chelsea and Manchester United. It's... It's one where you mentioned those two games and I always think you can look back and see these little markers and 
people may well look at last weekend, for instance, where they don't get the results against Leicester um, at home and think, well, you know, how much of a threat are they actually? But it is worth saying, isn't it, last weekend they didn't have Lewis Dunk. And whatever he's done, whatever he's tried to do at the back, you know, there's question marks around whether or not Duffy can do quite what he wants him to do. There's question marks, though, whether or not Adam Webster's still a little young, a little green. Dan Burns, quite an unorthodox player. But Dunk is essential, isn't he, to this Brighton side? Oh, absolutely. He's he's a huge influence. You know, he's 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 been a real bedrock uh, ever since they got promotion and indeed before that. Um, under Chris Hutton, it was very much a back four and it was Duncan Duffy. Uh, you know, it was that pairing. That's that that partnership has kind of been split split up now with this with the way Graham plays and as you say, sometimes switching to three centre halves, sometimes it's two. But but Dunk is actually it instrumental and I still find it surprising that he's totally disappeared from the England reckoning. Mm. I don't really understand that. Um, he had the one cap against the USA at, uh, uh, at Wembley last year in a friendly and he seems to have disappeared off the radar and I really don't see why he is so far down the England pecking order now. He's as a footballer, he, the, the really interesting thing about Dunk, you just mentioned there about him, you know, coming up with Brighton going right the way back, is that he appears to have stepped to every single challenge as it's come in, and you can now almost put the challenge of playing for Graham Potter in under that as well. You know, he he very much, when you look, for instance, at the game against Brighton, he's the he's the out ball the keeper looks to, he's on the ball as much as Dale Stevens, whereas you know there is the idea that Duffy's almost play past a little bit because he's not as not as cultured as Dunk, and maybe at times he's been slightly tarred with the idea that it's Duffy and Dunk, and what they do is he headed away he's actually a, he wants to be a bit more of a ball playing centre back and he's been showing that hasn't he under Potter absolutely yes yes he, he certainly has and, and like you say he, he is the sort of he's always had that in him you know he, he can play as well he's not just a the kind of traditional view of an old fashioned centre half uh, he does that side of it very well but he can he can play as well, and um, he'll you know it's always important when they play that three that, that there's at least one of them who's prepared to carry the ball. And actually, we've seen that with Adam Webster. He, uh, strange enough, the game at Man City. I mean, Laporte got his injury. Uh, when you look back at that, by trying to halt a run by Adam Webster mm. that started in his own half, and he went deep into City territory. So. Um, if he does play that system, and I'm not sure what system he will play, but it's important that you've got a defender like that who is comfortable and bring bring the ball forward. Uh, I want to talk about the front two. We've both impressed in, in, in patches so far this season. Young Connolly, he's only 19. Excellent against Tottenham, really announced himself. Uh, Malpais look, looked like a 12-13 goal a season man, and I don't mean that disparagingly at the you know, where Brighton currently are, if you've got a couple who can yeah. get you 12, 12 to 15 over the course of a campaign, you're going to be in good shape and, and they both look like they've got that in them. Yeah, they've, they've got that mobility, that movement, uh, prepared to run the channels, running behind. Aaron Connolly, um, we, we've discovered, he, he, he got a groin injury at Old Trafford, so he missed the Leicester game, but he's back in training this week. So there's a fair chance. Well, I'm, he'll certainly be involved, whether that's starting or on the bench. And Mopay, it's taken him a little while because he didn't have much of a pre-season at Brentford. But, you know, he's he's got four goals so far. Uh, like you say, yeah, that's the kind of... I mean, their, their top scorer in their two seasons in the Premier League has been Glenn Murray. 
with yeah. 13 and 12 goals. Glenn has become what perhaps you would expect at this stage of his career. You know, he, he's very much on the bench now. Uh, you know, still got a value, valuable contribution to make doing that. He's 36 now. But the dynamic of the forward line has changed as well because of Potter's philosophy, a contrast to Chris Hewton. You know, that sort of target man that Glenn is. Um, he, he's gone more for the, you know, those smaller forwards, if you like, uh, movement, mobility. And certainly when they have been together, it's worked well. I mean, you, you mentioned the Tottenham game. They, they destroyed Tottenham. Yeah, I, I, it's it's why I, I'm you know I'm in, I'm interested to see again whether or not you know the manager feels as though he can go with both of them. The last little one I want to touch on for for our listeners is uh, is Dale Stevens, and again when we talk about people sort of stepping up, again you know you might have thought that Stevens might end up being a little bit too functional for Potter that he might want a little bit more in there, but I think he's been an ever present this season for and plays every league game. I think I'm right in saying and. And he's been the most impressive midfielder, um, certainly from a Brighton point of view, but often on the pitch full stop. Yeah, it's a very, it's a funny one, Dale. Um, I've always rated him in his in his time at Brighton. Um, some supporters don't, and he gets a fair bit of flack, and has done in the past. It's one of those, you know, he's one of those players, if you like. I think within within among his teammates, he uh, they think an awful lot of him, but yeah. he doesn't catch the eye. You know, he's not somebody who who you see sort of opening up a defence or hitting hitting one in from 35 yards. In fact, goals is something he's, he should get more of because he has got that in him. But he was playing quite a restricted role under Chris Hewton. Um He's got a little bit more freedom now, a little bit more licence. And I think, you know, we're seeing what he can do. And Chris Hewton depended on him, clearly. Graham Potter rates him and is depending on him on him as well. I think th- I think Dale Stevens is an underrated player. Uh, what what are your expectations then for the game? What would your prediction be? I mean, you've said a couple of times about the the prospect of coming to Anfield. Liverpool's unbeaten run is there. It is present. I'm sure it's in the mind of opponents before they turn up to Anfield. Is this one that you feel as though Brighton can put a performance in and maybe get some form of a result, or do you think it may well be that the most he can hope for is the performance and maybe scare Liverpool a bit and go from there? Mm, well, I, funny enough, I was looking. I was looking after the Napoli result, and I mean, it's the, it's the Premier League record. The Premier League record at, at Anfield is phenomenal. I think by my reckoning, I think I'm right in saying they drew one-one with Leicester in January, end of January. And since then, it's 13 wins on yep. the bounce. And it's like 40 goals for. So they're, they're scoring an average of three a game and conceded nine, I think it was. So, you know, that is some record. Having said that, records are there to be broken, aren't they? You know, <laughs> that is gonna, that is going to end at some point. Do I believe it will end against Brighton? Honestly, hand on heart, no, I think it's very unlikely. But I, I, I am expecting them to put up more of a performance than they did against Chelsea or Manchester United. I, th- I think, um, I think Graham will be looking for that because, like I say, they disappointed on both of those occasions. So, irrespective of what the result ends up being, you know, because they lost four 0 at Manchester City, but they got a lot of plaudits for that performance. Mm. Um, 
even Pep Guardiola spoke 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 in, in sort of um, very complimentary terms about the way they played at the Etihad. So at the end of the day, obviously it's all about results, but you've got to be realistic about the chances of Brighton getting a result at Anfield. So I think it is also about how they actually perform. OK, uh, excellent stuff from Andy. Uh, the Athletic are a partner of the Anfield Raptors season. Very, very pleased to have them. Uh, and if you want to sign up, uh, you can get all sorts of reductions. If you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield Rap, log on there, have a little look. Uh, have a little look at all the fantastic writing that you can find on the Athletic. Do download the app as well. Uh, and this has been uh, Andy. Thank you very much to him. And we'll crack on with our conversations about Brighton and Liverpool. Great to speak to Andy Naylor there uh, about uh, Brighton and Hove Albion and what they're up to. Uh, James Sutton, Liverpool cannot afford to be complacent in any way, shape or form. It's a Brighton side that, for instance, beats Tottenham, yeah. a Brighton side that plays some direct football. Complacency is Liverpool's enemy in this one. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. Brighton, Brighton can punish you. They've taken points off Newcastle, they've taken points off Everton, they've taken points off Tottenham. Uh, there's someone else, I think, as well that they've they've they've, they've done they've done a job on this season. Um, I I expect them to be. It'll be very com- compact. Um, they've got they've got those two big thugs in uh, in, in defence, Dunk and. The other well, thing. they've got Duffy, Webster, and Byrne. Duffy was the one I was thinking. Yeah, it's of. Worth, Duffy and Dunk. It is worth saying just for all of our listeners, they play a lad at left back called Dan Byrne, who's six foot seven. But um, I mean, on what planet? I mean, were they grown in test tubes? <laughs> he is the left back. He's flitting <laughs> up between left back and left side and centre half. No, complacency would be the worst thing that we can do. We have to treat this like the most important game of the season because it is the most important game of the season. That throws into relief to an extent, I think, Philip had his selection uh, against Napoli. You know, the one thing I didn't think of because I was thinking all the way through it's so important to get the results against Napoli, it gets you the Salzburg game off. But that if you are Jurgen Klopp, you're actually thinking, we need to take six points for the next two home games. We cannot give an inch. We need to be at it for the next two home games. I think that's the thing. It's To me, it's all about keeping that pressure on. The second that we drop any points, I think it, Man City will kind of get like the grip between the teeth. Leicester will even start looking and going, do you know what? we could do something here and we need to just keep knocking them down you know Pep actually mentioned it the other day in that press conference thing that he did with Klopp where he was like basically saying you know every game he was thinking oh this is going to work where they're going to drop points and then no we go and get like that late goal again and we've been there we know what it's like when Man United were doing this in the 90s and in 2000s you know we we know how demoralising it is when somebody who you want to get beat keeps picking up those points and we need to keep doing that and to keep knocking them back. Um, and that for me is the most important thing. I'm, I don't care how we win on Saturday, just win. I think I've, I, normally I would be backing Philippa in the don't care how you do it, just do it. I think it might be quite nice for this side to, again, not to be complacent, but to have it done by 70 to have a clean sheet. I think this is a Liverpool side that could just do with maybe putting two or three clean sheets together in the league, Paul, and just getting to relax a little bit more, getting for it to not need that last, that hectic last five, that big last ten. It would be nice to see Liverpool put something to bed soon. Yeah, definitely. It feels a bit critical to say say that you'd like to see them get a little bit of form, maybe. That, that's probably it's not really the weird, right... isn't it? Because yeah, they've won 12 out of 13. Really, yeah. really critical. But yeah, you feel like you'd like to see them play well, maybe. 
because I don't think as good as we are, I don't think we've we've played to our standards Attack well. for a while. Yeah. Attack well yeah. for an hour, say. Um and so I think I think it'd be nice to see that happen. I think, you know, it's great getting these last minute wins and things like that, but it's not good for my heart and it can't be good for the for the players in terms of the um, the amount of sort of effort they're going to having to put in at the moment. So it'd be nice to see them be able to not relax at 60 but not feel like they've got to go chasing the game at 60. James, this is for me all part of the fact that I actually think that it's been missed in the wider discussion and up to an, to an extent by us because we've been living it and we're going game to game, we're going game to game, we're going game to game but we haven't had a, haven't, haven't half had a really difficult first 13 mm. games of the season. Mm. Being set, the first team that Southampton face at home and you can make a joke about that but you know you don't want to beat you, you, you don't want that one then. The fact that we played all of last season's top six and Leicester and we've got all of that done home and away in different ways that's done. Getting Villa and Sheffield United away when they feel like mm. the European mm. champions are coming these are massive games. It is worth saying that maybe just maybe now we might have broke the back of that Again, not to be complacent, but with the idea that there's three home games coming up in the next four against Brighton, against Everton and against Watford. And yes, Everton will be its own challenge, but being able to just maybe, maybe, maybe now relax, build some form, build some momentum. That's 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 exactly what it is. And it would be it'd be really nice if we kind of turned a turned a bit of a corner and started a new phase of the season where we do have you know, we attack wise, we are scoring some goals. Because we've got we've got all the tools and all the attributes to give someone a proper good thumping. It just hasn't happened yet. Um I mean, yeah. It's, it's the, the, in previous in previous seasons, you know, we've beaten top teams, and then we've gone away to places like Southamptons and places like that, and just fallen apart and lost. You know, lost one nil. We we cannot have that happen this time. It has to be the most important game. We have to go out and absolutely destroy them. It's why the Crystal Palace win was enormous. I think, Philip, you said before about not letting anything get back. But also, I remember Liverpool beat uh, Liverpool beat uh, Manchester City four three, going right the way back into into twenty eighteen, and then the next game they go and got beat got beat at Swansea. And at that time, that felt like what that side was like. This time, they get the big win against City. Next game, even with the international break, they find a way against Crystal Palace. But maybe you know it, there might be a bit of room for the manager to. Pick a slightly more expansive lineup against Brighton. Maybe a little bit of room for them to find a little way through towards getting a Liverpool side that can that can take advantage of any gaps that Brighton leave. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he tries to give Shakiri some minutes for me. Um, I think he's a sort of player that could be quite valuable um, and somebody we haven't actually seen really this season at all. And I, I, I it'll be interesting to see what happens with Shakiri actually, even when we have this like two games in two days thing whether or not he decides to leave him behind just to give him those full minutes or not um, because I have no doubt that we're going to need him I still think that Salah's struggling with his injury I felt that last night um, I feel like he needs a bit of a performance in him um, just to kind of get the fans to relax a little bit because I think we're a little bit concerned about him at the moment uh, whether that's right or wrong Um and I think the front three really haven't clicked for me. Um, together. Together. And I think that's something that we would all like to see again is that, you know, they, they have that interlinking play that they've they've done so well over the past couple of years. Um, who for you in the first of the games now, because it isn't just the suspension, we don't know how long the injury is going to be. Who do you think he brings in for Fabinho? I, I was quite uh, pleased to see Wijnaldum come on mm. in that game, in that position. And that, that's, that's the move I would would make. Do you think, think it's it, the move he will make? Um, well, see, I was just thinking then about the idea because I, I, 
it limits what you can do with the others then, doesn't it? Because he, he obviously likes to play Henderson on the right-hand side, which and Chamberlain wants to play on the right-hand side, so does that mean that Milner plays left? Because you, you're sort of limited who else can play left if Keita's not available. Um, in an ideal world, you shift Henderson across and you bring Chamberlain in. So I, I think he'll play Wijnaldum, but then I don't know what that means for the lads in front. Adam Lallana's not busy at the moment. <laughs> I think he'll play I'm pointing Lallana. it out. I'm pointing it out. Though. No, he played Lallana or Villa. I think he'll play Lallana. I, th- I think he, I think he plays Lallana. I'm absolutely with you. I think I think I think the nearest we've got to Fabinho is Wijnaldum. Mm-hmm. For, when Fabinho, when we lost him uh, in the Napoli game, um, it sudden, suddenly there's confusion and there's disarray and nothing's quite as stable and as he, he's, he's a very reassuring quality to have in that position. And the the nearest we've got to that, I think, is, is Ginny Wijnaldum. But I'm I'm with Neil. I think I think he brings Adam Lallana in. Unfortunately, I'd be surprised if Henderson plays Toll on Saturday. Um, you know, he's he's had quite a lot of minutes recently, and I think that he would want him for the Everton game. Mm. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that that he wants to start Henderson against Everton. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a midfield of Oxlade Chamberlain, Wijnaldum, and Lallana start the game. See, I, I, I think Lallana does, in hindsight, does really well against Villa. And I think he might look at that and think, get him in there. Maybe, just maybe, if certainly if Brighton play two up front, there'll be a bit of room in midfield. He can move the ball quickly. He can pop it off. I do. I think I think in the only thing that makes... I, I Before Fabinho got injured, I was more certain Lallana would play. If he hasn't got Fabinho for four weeks, it might be that he's thinking, right, it's not a one-off. Mm. I need to put a plan to together. It has to, it has yeah. to be consistency. Yes, yeah, so that you, might change his mind. He might think, therefore, all right, well, if I'm going to play Wijnaldum for six games in this position, I may as well have this one be game one, and he's going to get all six of them, and we're just yeah. going to make that work, and if I've got to sub him, I'll sub him. But that's the thing that I think jeopardises it now. Apart from that, I was quite convinced, with the way the fixtures are gone, Brighton at home, it'll be Lallana who sits in for Fabinho. Mm. Whereas I don't see Lallana sitting in for Fabinho against Everton. No, if you, and that's the thing, and that's why it changes. So that's what that's what I think. Are we expecting anything else selection wise? Anything else that he might do? No, I say I'd like to see Chamberlain in potentially, especially with it being Brighton, and, and hopefully you're going to get a lot of the ball. Um, and and to be fair to the lad, he, he's looking sharp, and you, you look, know he, he looked great, didn't he? He snappy. really did look. Yeah, he, he put a bit of impetus into what we were doing. Um, seems to be getting a bit more of a grasp of what what his role is in the team as well now, which I think's the bit that that's the missing thing I think with him more so than anything else mm. um, so that's the only other one really I would I would see I suppose my only other thing would be Lovren and you're going to ask Lovren to play five games in a row he's never done it before that's a worry for me he's never mm. had, he's never had me out of my seat clapping but I did last night <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'd be quite interested to see Curtis Jones get a spot on the bench um, especially if Kate is still not great um, because I think Curtis Jones can play in that position and come on and just do something a little bit different if it's needed um, and he was fully fire, firing yesterday so I don't see any reason why we shouldn't reward players when they're in that sort of form Do you all think you'll start the front three? You don't think he might, he might be tempted to hold one back with the Everton game on the horizon? Or do you think he, it's a current climate you've just got to keep going? Depends, it depends on, depends on Mo Salah that, that's, that's the only one for me that I, I, Firmino and, uh, and Mane uh, the, the automatic starters but it depends on Salah if if Salah is as tired and as injured as I think he might well be uh, I take I, I would take him out straight away put Origi in put, well, yeah or, yeah put Origi in or, or give or you know move things around see if Shakiri can do a little job yeah okay give me a prediction Philippa <laughs> three nil 
3-0 I like it James yeah go on I'll go with you 3-0 mm. 3-0 3-1 3-1 uh, okay excellent stuff thank you very much to Paul to James and to Philip and to everyone who's been on the weekend of this week hope you've enjoyed it uh, hope you've enjoyed it loads to get your teeth into and Liverpool have got to remain on the march Sports Social Podcast Network